Today's reading will come from Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 7. Mark 1, 40 to 42. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Luke 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Then they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So we are in now the second part of summer and the first installment of a whole new series. Do you guys remember the uh, policeman says to his wife, Honey, I love you so much, I would take a bullet for you. You guys remember the story? The wife looks at her husband, the policeman, and says, Oh, honey, I don't want you to take a bullet for me. Can you just wash the dishes? You, You guys heard that story. You guys are hearing it now. <laughs> when it comes to Jesus, he didn't just talk about a metaphorical bullet. He actually took the, he, he took the cross, the most horrifying, shameful, painful death. And it was absolutely necessary. Now, here's the question. If Jesus loved us so much that he would die... How did he express that love in the way that he would live? It's it's a good question, right? If that's the extent of his love, how did it show up from day to day, interactions with people, conversations? How did Jesus love practically? Now, he shows us the depth through the cross, and we're going to spend a series kind of looking at the day-to-day interactions. How did he express that love? And some of the questions we want to ask is like, would Jesus do the dishes? Or maybe this is a little bit more practical. Would Jesus notice someone cold, take off his jacket, and put it on the person? Now, I bring that up because there was one time I was asking my wife the question, Raina, how can I be better at loving you? You want to know what she said? She said, notice when I'm cold. Take off your jacket and give it to me. That's what she said. She said, just, just do a simple thing like notice I'm cold and take off. 
And so she told me this five years ago, and I've, I've really been working on this, and I do it, I do it from time to time when she tells me that she's cold. And the second time she tells me, I take it off and I put it right on her. <laughs> and I'm good. I'm like, oh, got it, right, take it off, and I put it right on her. Would Jesus do something like that? I'm just wondering, just wondering. Well, how about another question? How about another question? Does loving people more mean being less honest? Let me put it like this. Does loving people more mean being honest less? Does it? Does it? Then let me give you uh, an example. There's one time I was a home group leader, and um, I think it's okay for me to share this story now. There was a person in my home group with really bad hygiene. And it was so bad that no one wanted to talk to this person or sit next to this person, right? And so I didn't know what to do. And I actually uh, uh, had a phone conversation with my coach, which was Yan at the time. And I said, what do I do? Do I do nothing? People are avoiding this person. Does love speak that kind of truth? Would Jesus just sit? I mean, I mean, should I go up to this person and say, look, bro, I love you. You need to take a shower. Bro. You know, would love do that? It would, it would hurt their feelings. Would love do something like that? Does loving people more mean being honest less? How about this question? Does anyone here have someone in your life that's sort of hard to love? Now, does anyone have a son-in-law that's sort of hard to love? My, my <laughs> Raina's parents are right there. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I make it really easy for them, right? I don't know. I don't think so. That's, no, not all the time. Anyone here have an old college friend that's hard to love, exceedingly difficult, always kind of self-absorbed? Anyone here have a brother or a sister like that? Anyone here have a boss like that? Be honest. Lynn, you cannot raise your hand right now, but (laughs) be honest. How about this one? Does anyone here have a teenager in the house? Bam, I just nailed you right there. This series is all for you, right? Amen? Amen? I was expecting an amen. I know the amen's there. What do you do with someone who's incredibly hard to love? They're so self-absorbed. You love, they don't love in return. You love, they reject you. You've been there. A lot of you are there right now. A love talks back to you. How do you forgive someone that seems so impossible to forgive if you only know what they did to me? There is no way I can forgive. Raina um, is, is studying under the institute of this man named John Gottman. And it's, it, he's this incredibly insightful researcher, but he actually ha- holds to this philosophy that the one thing that's impossible to do for relationships is when there's a deep hurt, it's impossible for to forgive. I was very moved by this. Is that true? What would Jesus say about that? What would Jesus say about that? What do you do when loving someone is not fun anymore and it's, it's lost its joy and fun for a long, long time and the feeling's gone and it turns into sacrifice and it just like every day, just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. What do you do? What would Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Can Jesus help us in, this, in these situations? How can he help us? If Jesus loved people so much that he would die for them, then how did he, that same love get expressed in how he would live for people? That's the question that we're asking. How did Jesus love the people in his life? 
What can Jesus teach us about loving the people in our lives? And that is what this series is about. Now, since that's the introduction, the first installment this morning is I want to start off with the obvious, okay? Now, here's the reason why. Have you guys ever been in a situation where it's the first thought on a matter, the most obvious thought that with time proves to be the most profound thought, the most lasting thought? I'll give you an example, okay? When I first met Raina, which was like 15 years ago, it was at here in church, in home group, my first impression of, of my, my, at that time, you know, what she was going to be my future wife, but my first impression is that this woman is really easy to talk to. I mean, she's very relatable. I just enjoy talking to her. My first observation, it was the most obvious thing about Raina, is that she's very interpersonal. That was the most obvious thing. It's interesting. I just went to Tahoe on vacation, just came back. I was thinking about the highlights of that trip. One of the highlights was having a date night with Raina. Now, what did we do? We just talked. And I found it so easy and comforting just to talk and relate to my wife. She's easy to talk to. It's interesting. That was the very first impression, most obvious thing about Raina. And 15 years later, it's still the thing I enjoy about her the most. Can it be the same with Jesus? That the most obvious thing about Jesus is actually the most profound thing. And maybe the most obvious thing about Jesus is the most profound thing that you can apply. Just start off with basics. Okay, all right. Now, as I'm looking at the life of Jesus, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 7, there's two really obvious things. And dare I say that those obvious things, if you seriously apply them, could totally change the way that you love. Maybe. Let me just say maybe, okay? But let's start with the obvious. Now, in Mark chapter 1, what's the most obvious thing I would have noticed? If I was right there, what's the most obvious thing I would have noticed? That's where we're going to start, okay? Now, the focus of this story in Mark chapter 1 is not the power of Jesus. How do I know that? Because when the leper comes up to Jesus, he says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. What is the leper questioning? It's not the power of Jesus. You can make me clean. My question is, will you? Do you want to? Have you chosen me to do something and to change my life and to heal me? If you will, you can make me clean. I'm not questioning your power. I'm questioning your goodness. Will you make me clean? Jesus says, Make no mistake about my heart. I will be clean. Now, Jesus heals the man, but what does he do before he heals the man? What does he do before he heals the man? Text says he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. Now, I know that Jesus does not need to touch the man to heal the man. Why? Well, because I've seen, well, we've, we've seen accounts where Jesus heals from a distance. He can heal from a distance. But no, Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches the man. All right, now, now hold it. Hold it one second. I don't know if you know what a big deal this is. This is probably the most obvious thing I would have noticed if Jesus was right there, how we reach it. This is a pretty big deal. Now, let me explain why this is a big deal, okay? Now, in a second, I'm going to show you a picture of a man with leprosy. But let me do a little bit of explaining. Leprosy 
is a disease that destroys a person's ability to feel. So if I can't feel pain and I keep on hitting something that cuts me and it's infected and I can't feel pain, then I'm going to keep on hitting that thing and then my limbs are going to wear down to nubs and my limbs are going to become nubs, okay? Now when this happens to a person and it's in full effect, it looks like this. I want you to look at this man. All right. Now, no, no, be honest. When you saw this man, what was your most, you know, basic natural reaction? You look at this man, you, ugh, right? It, the most natural reaction is to be repulsed, to go away. It's, ugh. You know, there's, there's pus, there's infection, there's mangled, there's, there's it just, it's disgusting. I'll be honest, it's disgusting. Now, now, here's the most obvious thing. Jesus, instead of moving away, he actually moved towards, and not just moved towards, but he reached out his hands, and he touched the infection, the mangled face. He moved towards, and he touched. Uh, this is very counterintuitive, unnatural. This is Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus. Now, when he saw that man, I bet you he was seeing the years and years of no one touching him. When he first was diagnosed with leprosy, he had to leave his family if he had a family. No more t- hugging his kids, no more caresses from his wife. This man probably hasn't been touched in years. And people are repulsed. And when you have leprosy and people are coming near you, you're supposed to yell something. Do you guys know this? You know what you're supposed to yell? Unclean! And then people know that you're there and then they, they, they totally go, they make this perimeter around you. They don't, don't go near you. And Jesus not just moved towards, but he touched. This man hasn't been touched in years. His compassion was beating out of him and moved with pity. Jesus reached his hand and touched the man. He didn't have to touch the man. He touched the man. That's what Jesus does. One obvious thing that we can learn from Jesus is that love is also communicated by touch. Love is also communicated by touch. You know, something interesting, they did these studies on human touch. And here's what social scientists found. They had teachers in a class, and they said, okay, teachers, with this group, I want you to touch. Touch, you know, your students at least one time. And then they had teachers in another group, no touch. And they found some really uh, distinctives. Now, in another study, there was doctors, right? And they said, hey, good doctors, with these patients, I want you to touch the patients with empathy. And doctors, with these patients, don't touch them. And they found some distinctives. Now, the teachers with the students, they found that when the students were touched, they participated twice as much as the students who were not touched. All right, what does that mean? Uh, To touch builds trust. And they found that with doctors, when the doctors touched the patients, the patients reported that the doctors spent twice as long with them than they really spent. What does this mean? Touching someone makes the time go longer? I don't know. But it doesn't just bring quality, but perceived quantity. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that love is also communicated by touch. So, So when we're in coffee hour, I want to see a lot of people touching each other, you know? A lot of, like, uh, married people, a lot of PDA, you know? No, but it does mean, it does mean uh, we give each other high fives. And we, it does mean that we give each other, like, 
like back rubs. Not, not creepy touching, by the way. I just want to make sure. No creepy touching. Just like, hey, man, it's good to see you. Now, I just rubbed your shoulder. Doesn't it feel like we spent five minutes in conversation? He's shaking his head, right? How about a half hug for joy? Hey, you don't have to hug me back. That's okay. I'll just hug you. All right? Right? Now, you're feeling something. That, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting this guy, you know? Now, I'm not saying that you should hug because it's advantageous to you. I'm saying that it's a mutual win. You hug because you love people. And love, touch is another way you express it. And guess what? There's actually natural benefits because God made us to love one another, to touch one another. So why are we not using that when we can? Why not? If it adds more, if it communicates the love that's in your heart, then why not do it more? I know some of you guys aren't really touchy-feely guys. Maybe this is an area you can grow in. So this is really practical. I know this one is not as good as the second one, but this is really practical. Love also com is communicated by touch. All right, well, let's go to the next one. This is Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. By the way, with the whole touching thing, just be mindful of the opposite sex or people who you might be attracted to or might be attracted back to you. Okay, I'm just saying, you know, you just got to steward that well, right? Amen? Okay, awkward talk over. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Okay, so love is also communicated by touching. Luke 7, what's the most obvious thing? What's the most obvious thing that could have profound implications? Okay. Now, let me give a little bit more into this story. The world that Jesus lived in was a very different world than ours. Um, in America, it's all about the individual, about you, right? But in the ancient Jewish world, it's about family. It's about being part of a clan. That's really important. In fact, your identity and your value come so much from your family that if you lose your family, you lose your life. You got nothing if you don't got your family. Now, part of you can understand that, right? So Jesus, and he's probably with a thousand people, and they're, they're walking, and maybe Jesus is talking, and they're walking on the road on the way to Nain, this village. They see this other procession, this other crowd, maybe 500 people, and they're walking, and the two groups sort of meet, right? And uh, what we see is a woman who's a widow, and now her son has died. Keep in mind, she's a widow. This is not the first burial she's ever been to. This is not the first time she's put a loved one in the ground. This is the second time. The first one was with her husband. Now it's with her son. Not just her son, but her only son. Now you got to keep in mind, back in that day, for an ancient Jewish woman, the greatest honor, the greatest joy was to give birth to a son, right? Casey would have been queen of her village if she was in ancient, you know, uh, uh, Israel. But the greatest sorrow was to put your only son in the ground. I, I want you to think about this woman. Now, the loss of her husband and her son definitely would have meant poverty. It was the loss of her Social Security, her Medicare, her 401K. But on top of that, there was shame. Now, what do I mean? The ancient Jews believed that if your only son died prematurely, it must have been because you did something wrong. God's too good to do that, so you must have done something wrong. So this woman is walking, and she's feeling shame. 
It's going through her mind, I probably did something wrong. It's going through the mind of the people, she probably did something wrong. Funerals are usually held at 6 in the evening after the day's work was done. I want you to imagine that earlier in the day, she had laid her son down on the ground. She was combing his hair. She was putting on his best clothes. She, I imagine she had trouble lifting him and putting him in the whisk, wick, wicker basket, face up with, with his arms like that. Maybe at 6 p.m., um, there was a knock on the door, and there was 500 people from her community that was there to support her. She's walking in this, this funeral procession. She's in the front. They probably hired mourners because that was just the custom to be chanting and to be weeping and to be crying just to set the mood. There's grief, and then Jesus comes. Now, when Jesus comes, the text says he looks at her. Now, you got to imagine there's thousands of both, uh, maybe 1,500 people. There's a lot of commotion. There's wailing. But his eyes go right to the widow, and his eyes are fixed on the widow. He's looking at the widow, and the text says that his heart goes out to her. Now, we have this account from eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses saw this. They told Luke about it. Luke wrote it down. What did the eyewitnesses see? Because the eyewitnesses say that Jesus was looking at her, that you can see, but his heart went out to her. There was compassion there. How do you know if someone is looking at another person with compassion? When people are asked to describe, like, how do you know if someone was feeling compassionate, they normally say it's in the eyes. There's a softness, there's a tenderness, there's a compassion in the eyes. I just wonder at that moment if they were looking at Jesus, and maybe he was teaching, and mid-sentence he stops, he looks at the widow. And I would just, you just imagine his eyes were communicating his compassion. And you imagine the eyewitnesses looking at the eyes of Jesus, can you imagine what those eyes looked like? He says to her, don't cry. Jesus stops the funeral procession with the touch of his hand. He touches the coffin. They stop. And then I just I love, I love what Jesus does next. He says to the young man, young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man just, you know, rises out of the wicker basket. You know, it's, 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 it's so cool. Like three miles away, 800 years ago, the prophet Elisha sort of did the same thing. He raised back to life the, the son of a, of a widow, the only son of a widow. But it was really radically different. I mean, Elisha had to go through all these different gyrations. You know, he had rituals. He had to, like, put his mouth on the dead son's mouth and hands on. I think he laid on top of the kid or something like that. It was really weird, you know. And then, and then the body got warm, and he did it again, you know. <laughs> Jesus just goes to the man, doesn't even touch the man. Young man, get up. And the young man gets up, and everyone knows there is something very special happening, and this man is greater than Elisha. And they were praising God. The crowd is filled with awe, and they're praising God. And you imagine Jesus at that moment, he doesn't take his eyes off the woman. It's not like, okay, back to the crowds. His eyes are on the woman. He gets the son, and he brings it back to the woman because his eyes were on the woman. Okay, now we're talking about what's so obvious. Well, the obvious thing is Jesus raised the dead son back to life. Great. What came before that? Well, he touched the coffin. Great. What came before that? Well, uh, his heart went out to the woman. His heart was full of compassion. Great. What happened before that? 
he looked at the woman. So obvious. Could that also be one of the most profound things? Maybe even the most profound things that we're lacking. Love begins with looking. Looking. Can it be as simple as that? Love begins with looking. This is not the first time that the the scriptures describe Jesus as looking. It's not the first time. You get this in other places where Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He looked at the young rich ruler and he loved him and then he spoke. He saw his mother at the foot of the cross and then, out of compassion, he asked his friend to take care of her. How many times is Jesus looking at people and does as the, the Gospels make sure to mention that Jesus is... 40 times Jesus looked. Jesus saw. His heart broke. And then he moved. He said. He did some sort of miracle. Now, I just want to say this is very counterintuitive. This is very counterintuitive. I don't know if you know what I mean. But my impulse, when I arrive on a scene where there's needs is I don't want to look, I want to do, right? Are you guys the same way as me? And, then we, 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 and the reason why maybe we say something like, I, you know, what good is looking and feeling if there's no action? Well, have you ever thought of the converse of that? What good is action without looking and seeing and feeling? Well, if you're just doing without feeling, then it's just duty. A lot of times when I do that, it's just empty, And the person who receives the love doesn't feel like it's genuine love because I'm just focused on the doing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, we we used to um, serve at West Oakland. And uh, we would serve breakfast to the under-resourced neighborhood. Don't know if you guys remember this, but we would have these tables and there would be like rice and bread and meat and, and we would be serving breakfast to the people in the neighborhood. Now, it sounds like I'm making fun of you guys and it's, it's because I am, okay? So, you have never seen so many like Asian people crowded behind the table. You know, it's like, they, you know, the lineup for the people who are getting the meal. You've never seen so many Asian people like sardines crowded on this side, right? And it, it, takes like, it takes like three people to hand out a piece of bread. You know, like one person to pick it up, the other person hand it to the person, they, they put it on the plate, the other person like blesses it or something, and, or quality control. It's like, why is that so scary for us to be out on the other side? Like maybe just eating with the people? Just talking to them, just sharing stories. On the other side of the table, it's kind of scary. No, 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 we'd rather be here. We want to do, we want to do. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like when I'm out there, it's, it's, it's like uh, it's just, I'm not accomplishing anything. I just, what good is talking? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You talk. Your heart breaks. And then you do. You see? I'll give you another example. Now, this is just me. This is me. We go to Tijuana to build a house. How many of you guys have done that? Raise your hands. Okay. Hey, they're going again in November. It's a great way to, like, uh, invest uh, in your family. Anyway, we, we go there and we build a house, right? And we build a house and we the nails and the hammers and all that. We build a house and we leave the house and it's all about the house. We spend so much time building the house and such little time trying to talk with the people that we're building it for. That's me. That's me. I get there. I want to build. I want to build. I get on the roof and start hammering nails, right? Don't even use a hammer. Just hit my, use my fist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and 
And part of it's a language gap, like I don't know how to speak Spanish. But Jesus teaches us, no, no, no. The doing comes from the compassion. And the compassion comes from the looking. Are we looking? Why don't we look? Well, it's just, it's inefficient. You know, right? You want to get there and just get stuff done because that's the end result. Inefficient. And Jesus, like, you know, love is not efficient. Ooh, that's a good one. Love is not, actually, that was from Paul Miller. But love is not efficient. Love takes time. It's by looking at people and it's by having compassion on them then your movement comes from your compassion. When was the last time you looked at your wife or your spouse? Like after a long day of work, you look at them and you see how tired they are. When was the last time you took a good look at your kid? When I was in Tahoe, one of the highlights of my trip was just looking at Noel play golf. Now, I just have to describe this to you. I have to describe this to you. She was wearing like a Sunday hat and this purple outfit that said, Owls Love Jesus, and like this big tutu, you know? And she's like chasing the golf ball around, and my heart was just looking at her. And I didn't just look. I was looking at her, and my heart went out to her. There was looking combined with compassion. And when those two are working together, it's called cherishing. And I was cherishing this moment. It was like one of the highlights of my trip. My baby daughter, five years old, the years are passing by so quick. She's so cute. Cherishing. It's looking, combining with compassion. When was the last time you looked at your kid like that? Did any of you see a homeless man on the way here? Did any of you take time to look? Sometimes I'm afraid to look. Because if I look and my heart breaks, then I have to do something about it. And it's much more comfortable just to stay in the ease of my car and drive past them. Because, you know, I don't have to do something about it. When was the last time you looked at the homeless man that you passed or the friend that you're talking to and you see how anxious they are about their parents or about their work or about their marriage or about their friendships? When was the last time you looked at a crowd and you were feeling like most people in the Bay Area don't know Jesus. And they're probably full of tons of questions that they're not asking. They probably don't even care about Jesus. And there's this great need that they have and they don't even know and your heart breaks for them. When was the last time you looked at crowds of people that you don't even know? When was the last time you looked at a senior citizen and how they struggle with not being able to do what they used to. They can't run like they used to. They can't hear like they used to. They can't drive like they used to. When was the last time you looked at your parents and you saw all the years that they've invested in you and loved on you and you just thought about their needs? I want you to go ahead and take a look at this video. It's a really good video. I want to leave you with one last closing thought. I want you to imagine how Jesus sees you. Now, and I'll think about this. Jesus saw the leper, the rotting flesh. He didn't move away. He moved towards, he did a miracle. Jesus saw this widow, and he brought her dead son back to life.
I know Jesus sees you the same way. Now, how do I know that? Because of what he did. His looking brought feeling, and his feeling brought action. And what was his action? Jesus died on the cross for you. He did the greatest miracle of all for you. And on the cross, he paid for your sins. If you believe him, if you've received him. Now, if that's what he did for you, then you know it came from a place of great compassion. And where did that place come from? He looked at you. This is how Jesus sees you. If you know the eyes of Jesus for you, then you have power to see other people with those same eyes. People who know this love are able to give this love. If you know that Jesus looks at you and how he looks at you, then it empowers you to look at other people in the same way. Look at what he did for you. And he came from looking at you. So go and look at other people in the same way. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are not a God who just rushes to action. But your love began with looking. And Jesus Christ, the perfect man, teaches us to look. Not just with our eyes, but to look with the eyes of our hearts. So I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. That we might look at those around us, Lord, not with our eyes, but ultimately with yours. I pray that as we worship, we would see your eyes. And I pray as we leave here, you would help us to have the eyes of our hearts to see the people around us just as you see us. In Jesus' name we pray.